0: Hey everyone, welcome to Mission Driven This Week. My name is Rafi Krikorian. This week, I have the pleasure of being here with my friend, Max Roser, the founder and director of Our World in Data. They provide research and data to help understand the world's biggest problems, such as demographic change, health, food and agriculture, and others. If you browse their site, you'll see that Max and his team has curated a clean set of data for anyone to access and has provided the tools to allow you to ask questions and to visualize it. It's an incredibly powerful tool in the world where data is often misrepresented or hard to come by. But to give us more, I'm just going to turn to Max. So Max, it's so good to see you. Yeah, great to see you, Rafi. Glad to be here. Let's start with, if it's okay telling me about yourself has data always been your passion is it always something you wanted to go do maybe like it was probably some way
1: in the back of my mind while i was doing other things but i it took me a while to actually realize the love for data like the love for physics and mathematics was was much earlier and that was probably what i was most concerned obsessed with when i was going to school when i was a teenager but i always had like these uh, two at the time, I thought, very conflicting interests in mathematics and, and numbers on the one side and more philosophy and social science on the other hand and interest in history. And the idea that data and quantitative history brings both of these worlds in some way together, that took me a while to actually understand.
0: You need to unpack what quantitative history means for a second.
1: I mean, much of history, like if you look at the history books, they are just full of words and full of accounts of the events that occurred in the past. And obviously that's all important, but there's also a way of capturing historical developments through data, through very long run observations, people's incomes, people's lives, like people's health, the causes of their deaths, and in many fields, Data has, has increased in prominence over the last decades, and that's also true for history. And so there's there's a big strand of very quantitative history that's often also quite close to economics, the field where I probably most belong to, where economic history is is very data-driven. Um, and these various disciplines, they try to capture the long-run development of, of our species and of the world around us through data. I guess that's, to some extent, the world that I belong to. But I didn't know about this when I went to school. So when I had these two loves that I was describing just just before, then I was just unaware that there are historians that rely on data um, and try to understand um, and get insights about our world through data.
0: Can you give us a good canonical example? Like, as I think about it, maybe it's like the temperature of the Earth through the years, but I'm hoping for maybe a more human centric example. Sure. There's like
1: one post that, that I wrote a while ago, which is still quite popular is uh, looking at the mortality of children throughout history. So various historians or archaeologists went around, tried to get data on like based on graveyards uh, or accounts from church parishes on the age distribution of the people that died in the area. So you can rely on the bones or you can rely on early records in some uh, books that are kept in churches or monasteries. And based on all of these evidence, people try to figure out what share of children died as children. And that's, for example, one one source where you, where you find this very large agreement from very different sources that no matter where in the world children were born in the past, around half of them died before they reached the end of puberty. And then in more recent decades, obviously, you see... A dramatic improvement of child health and rapidly
0: declining uh,
1: mortality of children.
0: Max, why do you do all this? What makes you excited to do what some would call tedious work? You're sifting through data sets. You're trying to understand what's true, creating new data sets for others to use. Who do you hope uses this output? Like, where does this all lead? Right. These are big questions. I mean, like, I guess it's true that a lot
1: of it just comes from personal interest. Like when I started this, I wasn't that much thinking about doing this for a larger audience. I just thought I write a blog, build a little website, build a web repository of some kind on the things that I'm interested in, that there is a much larger audience that's actually following all of this. I wasn't quite expecting that. These days, I think the motivation has become very much to give insights on the big problems that the world is facing, whether that's the health situation of people or environmental issues or economic issues from poverty to inequality to violence and education. And in the last two and a half years, very much the COVID pandemic and where a lot of the data that people need to understand the world is actually there, but it's hard to access that data. It's buried in spreadsheets or even in the appendixes of some PDF in some obscure research paper. And our task there is to to bring it out of these spreadsheets, out of these PDFs and turn it into understandable visualizations that present the data, but also make understandable what this data actually explains you about the world and what you can actually learn and take away from this data. And then the people who rely on this data, they come with very different uh, motivations. So it's people who just want to have an update on what's happening in the pandemic so that they plan how to think about their next weekend and how to plan their their weeks ahead. To people who are maybe interested in these very positive long-run developments, like the one that I just mentioned, uh, the improvements in child health, just to zoom out and actually see that if people set their minds to it, then they can actually really dramatically improve how living conditions of people around the world look like.
0: Maybe it's a good time to zoom out and talk about your little website. Your website is used by publications like Science, CNN, the BBC. But for the audience of Mission Driven who maybe hasn't played with it yet... Can you tell us about Our World in Data and what it is? So
1: Our World in Data is a freely available website on which we bring together the data and research that makes the world's large problems understandable. And we very much rely on data as a way to communicating how large these problems are how things have been changing in the last years, decades, sometimes centuries or millennia and what's possible for the future. And as I was saying, I guess in the, in the last couple of minutes, it's a very wide ranging online publication covering health, education, violence, economic issues. Right now I'm working on artificial intelligence and technological change is always a big topic. So it's, it's a, it's a quite a f- wide ranging online publication.
0: Talk to me about your role. I introduced you as founder and co-director, but what does that practically mean? Like, what's your job description? What do you do day to day?
1: I guess the overall, it just has changed quite dramatically over the last couple of years. So these days, we are over 25 people. At the beginning of the pandemic, two and a half years ago, we were six. So we had two years of, of quite Large growth, and with that, my uh, job has changed a lot. When I started, it was for many years just me doing all of it from the website development and the visualizations that I built to promoting it online and at some point then starting to find uh, or to search for funding. These days, uh, we have this really nice team together where many of these tasks are are taken over by colleagues, but I very much want to still do The work that i started with namely writing and visualizing data so i basically split my day these days and the morning is reserved for writing and for for visualizing of data and for uh, my own academic work and the afternoons i'm putting on a different hat and become much more of a manager than i had ever imagined which part of the day do you like most then in the mornings i I like, I really do like spending time with the data, trying to think of a good way to visualize that data, to capture it in a way that, that I can understand it in new ways. And I very much like the data visualization aspect of it. In the afternoon, it's a, it's a much more collaborative effort. And I think that's in a weird way, somewhat rare in academia, maybe in particular in economics where it's very common for economists to basically do everything, to come up with the idea for the paper, collect the data, travel to the country, uh, run the surveys, do the data cleaning, do the data analysis, do the literature review, actually write the paper. And it's years of often quite solitary work, which in a way is particularly odd for economists because all the time, we're talking about how the division of labor was this massive breakthrough that allowed everyone to be much more productive. <laughs> but when it comes to our own work, we are these hermits in a cave that just uh, try to, to do everything ourselves. And I guess the reason for that is to some extent that people want to publish papers and that um, single authored papers just count a lot in um, academic for academic promotions. So you're somewhat disincentivized from uh, being collaborative. It's better in other disciplines, but in economics, it's very common to have single authored, co-authored, maybe three or three authors on one paper. So I very much do like this uh, teamwork that we have and where we have various experts that, that bring together their various skills. And that's that's just awesome to see how the different parts are coming together.
0: It sounds then like mornings is when you get to have a very creative time. So how do you direct that? How do you prioritize? How do you decide this is the thing I'm going to work on or chase down today?
1: Right. This is also often coming quite out of the uh, collaborative teamwork where we decide about these things together. And it's a couple of factors that we take into account. Like one big one is, of course, our personal interests and the things that we are most passionate about. And that's, I guess, true for most academics where... It's very much like academics are often very much driven by their own particular interests. But I guess in contrast to some academics, we try to be more demand driven in a way and also listen a lot to what feedback we get. People that I speak to, emails that are coming in. I'm a huge fan of uh, social media and Twitter in particular and hearing from people what their requests are, what they would like to understand better. Um, I see what people misunderstand maybe and react to those things. So in a lot of ways, I'm trying to speak with the readers and, and react to that. I think that's one of the big advantages of publishing online. Back in the day, you had this clear separation of writing a publication and then putting it out into the world. These days, it can be much more an iterative process where you put some part of your work out. There you learn what uh, what people how people react to it and you have a new version out after some time. And so a lot of this comes out almost in this kind of
0: conversation with uh, the readers. You are maybe blessed with a really fast feedback loop. You have customers and readers that can react fairly immediately to you. So can you tell us a story about those readers? What's been the most fruitful and interesting interactions you've had with them?
1: Oh there would be much to say there. Um one clear example for this is is the work du- throughout the pandemic where everything was very fast paced and the feedback loop was very tight. Uh we were building the data set on vaccinations that the world that everyone was basically relying on the New York Times, the Financial Times the WHO itself, um, everyone was relying on this data set that we started building when the COVID vaccination campaign uh, started out. So there were lots of eyes on, on our data every day. And there was very intense, where immediately when some data wasn't up to date or we misunderstood something about some data from a particular country, we got immediate feedback. That was quite relentless in a way. So, in in <laughs> It was helpful, and it definitely helped to produce a correct data set or as correct as as possible data set but um it was also tough because it was i don't want to pick a particular country, but if you didn't have the data set ready and up to date on a Sunday morning for this particularly small country, you would get seven emails from from that place that
0: uh <laughs> that you are
1: late with with the update so there it was it was particularly relentless.
0: Wait, that's so entertaining. You're late for an update for a service you're providing for free to a country and that country is depending on it to make decisions.
1: Exactly. Like, I mean, that's something that that we learned the hard way that as soon as you go out there and you provide some service, like for half a day, people are thankful and half a day later, uh, like everyone takes it for granted and uh, gets annoyed at you if if you're not reacting fast enough. and That's amazing. Um, There's no way back.
0: Let's talk about you a bit more, Max. There must have been a fork in the road somewhere in your life that you mentioned you could have been a physicist. You could have been an economist at a bank. Have you thought about those moments and how you decided to go the way you're going now rather than another one of those forks in the road?
1: Like it, it took me a while. Like I, I struggled for quite some time to actually figure out what I wanted to do. And I think a big change and um, big relief almost was when I discovered economics. I still remember these first lectures when I, I studied in Austria in Innsbruck. Jesus crespo Quaresma was uh, later my supervisor and he was also one of the first or maybe the first uh, economists that I... Saw in a lecture, and um, when when he was talking about the history of, of poverty, I didn't believe it, but I was definitely intrigued. And like, I really bit my teeth into to that uh, discipline, and I was pretty happy to find a place that I could imagine pursuing for for some time, because because I didn't have that before. And since then, I stayed mostly in academia, but there were definitely times when I considered leaving academia and and working outside of academia for sure. And then
0: what signals do you get from Our World and Data that you've made the right choice, that this is the thing you should be spending your time on?
1: In a way, I'm always wondering a bit whether it was the right choice. I'm always curious what else I could have done, but <laughs> I, I really love doing the work that I'm doing. I It's been now almost 10 years or so that I've been working on our world in data in one shape or another as i said at the beginning like for a while behind closed doors but after 10 years i'm still very much enjoying it and and i don't imagine that i would do anything uh, different for uh, for for many years or for many decades into the future i mean i just come back from holidays and i was thinking during holidays like that i'm looking forward to to actually being back and uh, doing some good work
0: let me max ask the question a little differently then If you could give yourself advice in those moments, those moments when these forks in the road appeared, what advice would you have given yourself to help you move along that path faster or differently? That's a good question. I mean, one thing for sure is that
1: I should have moved much faster early. That's one thing that we already discussed. I think overall... For a long time I was I was thinking too much that whether this is successful or not will be decided in a particular moment. And this just isn't the case. Like at any point in time you think it's it's a big decisive moment, but you have always second chances, third chances, fourth chances, and you can just relax a bit more about all of these questions. I think a big one is that I didn't think I would actually do this with a team. For a long time, I just it didn't even occur to me that I would possibly have colleagues, uh, that do this with me. And I think I would be further or the the project would be better if I had understood that earlier, that actually doing this as a collaborative project is, is a, is the way to, to go, but it took me a couple of years and, uh, other people telling me
0: (laughs) that this is actually possible. Did it feel like a risk to you to decide that this is the thing you're going to go do? This is the job versus the thing you do on nights and weekends. It didn't. It just didn't. Like I just had this kind of trust that I should be
1: doing this, and I didn't think much about what else I should be doing. Like I was pretty determined um, throughout these early years to do exactly this. Like at times, I was I was doing other jobs to earn money in other ways. I was like a bicycle tour guide in the early years of this and that was actually paying the bills. So for many years I wasn't paid for this and I was doing this and thought this would this is what I should be doing. I didn't think it would lead to where it led but I was very happy to do this work.
0: Part of the reason I'm recording Mission Driven is to help others to get comfortable with the idea that there are other paths for them. For technical people especially, there are other paths that their careers can go. Like they could, for example, build large-scale advertising applications for a company, or they could follow a path similar to what you, Max, took. So what advice would you give those people? Those who are on the precipice, about to leave their job, or have left their job, or are trying to figure out what to do next. What counsel would you give them so they can think about being comfortable choosing a path that's more impact driven?
1: The most important question for your work is what you do? People obsess a lot about how to do a particular thing, like how to become more productive, how to, I don't know, organize your team better, how to um, get on top of emails, or I don't know, some particular like productivity question. But really the big one that, in the end, decides whether your work is valuable for the world or not, is what you're doing. And so overall, I think for everyone, it's just a good idea to think very hard about the question where you dedicate your energy and where you spend the many decades of your life working. Like when we think about where we go on holiday or where we go for dinner we spend quite some time actually researching the different restaurants um, and different destinations. And maybe that takes up maybe 5% or 10% or so of the time of the dinner, this, this time of uh, searching around. And I guess a similar kind of ratio is also adequate for making this hugely important question of where you dedicate the energy
0: that you have. One of the things I always use as a determinant for what I wanted to do next is, "Can I tell a story to my grandchildren that I'll be proud of?"
1: Yes, I think that's that that's a very good question. I think just overall reflecting and really thinking hard about this question of of what you want to do is just it's just a good idea and it's 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 weird how uncommon that is like if for many people it's it's just very contingent on particular circumstances in particular times where they end up. And it's not, it's not actually a very conscious decision for a particular career or for a particular field to, to work in.
0: Max, I want to thank you so much for chatting today. I also want to note that you completely undersell the impact that our world and data that your work is having on the world itself. But maybe that's one of the reasons I love having conversations with you. Either way, thank you so much, both for the site and for the work. And thank you so much for spending time with me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Rafi.
0: I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Max as much as I did. Next time, we're going to talk with Sam Quigley. I don't want to give too much away from what he has to say, but what I'll say is that a parent's drive for their children can really inspire them to do big things. And that drive is what we'll talk about next time on Mission Driven. I'll talk to you soon.